Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. We're getting started on this episode. I'm smiling because tonight's guest is Dr. Brett Schur. And when we look at the Explore the Space hierarchy of people that I've known the longest, it goes my dad, it goes my wife, and then it goes Brett. And Brett and I have known each other for almost 15 years. We were wet behind the ears attendings in San Diego when we became friends. And now, 14, 15 years later, Brett and I are going to record a podcast together on a really important, really provocative, very popular topic. We're going to talk food. Before we get into the episode, just want to remind everybody, please come and look at the website, www.explorethespaceshow.com. The entire archive is there. We're over 100 episodes. We're getting close to 120 episodes. Just incredible guests, incredible conversations, and it's a really robust environment, and I want to invite all of you to come and check it out. I'm very active on social media. You can find me on Twitter at ETS show. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. And I would invite you to please, when you check out the website, when you look at the archive, you'll see that we're on all the major podcast platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, whichever one you like. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on any of the great content. And definitely leave us a rating and a review if you have the opportunity. Those are the really powerful drivers that make the podcast visible so that when people jump into podcasts, Podcasting, and they're what I like to call window shopping for podcasts, they find the ones that you like. If there are shows that you like, whether it's Explore the Space or anybody else, please do that because that's what will help other people find the things that are meaningful to you. So all that said, you know, as a doc, we know that there are subjects that, are, that become popular. There are subjects that really hit a nerve. One of those subjects that's just flying around right now in the United States and around the world is what foods are we supposed to be eating? What is healthy? What's not healthy? It changes quickly. It moves fast. People buy into something and they really like it. We have an expert here to guide us through this. Dr. Brett Schur, a good friend of mine. We've known each other since forever ago. He's a cardiologist. We worked together in San Diego and he has moved into a space where he now has positioned himself as a real expert in nutrition, in diets, in optimizing performance and optimizing long-term health. He hosts his own podcast called The Diet Doctor Podcast. He's part of the whole Diet Doctor universe. He's got his own website and blog at lowcarbcardiologist.com. He's written a book. Brett sure is here. Brett, my friend, how are you? Oh, Mark, thank you so much for having me on today. It, it truly is a pleasure to uh, be on this show. As you know, I'm a big fan of yours and your podcast, and uh, you've been very instrumental in my podcast career and my career in general. So it's an absolute pleasure to be here talking with you today. I appreciate that, man. This is really fun. I like the fact that we're recording this and it's getting close to Passover. And one of my favorite seders that I ever attended was when you and your new wife came over and had Passover with me that's and my right. wife at our house. And we sang songs <laughs> and we ate and we drank and it was awesome. And, and that's when I got to learn about your uh, your coffee your coffee habits. That's too. right. We talked <laughs> coffee. We got into it. But most importantly, we ate and we drank. And that's why right. you're here, Brett. I like to kind of keep a finger on the pulse of what we get asked about. What are people curious about? I have two reference points. I'm going to share them with you. Reference point number one is a newer one. And it's a, it's when people go on Reddit and they do a Reddit Ask Me Anything. 
And so whenever a physician goes on Reddit and doesn't ask me anything, I like to try to take a glance and see what are they getting asked about. And a good one recently was Nina Shapiro, who's an ENT doc at UCLA, not related to me, but she's been on the podcast and she's written a book called Hype. It talks about lots of different things where there's that are hype driven in medicine. I would say about 80% of the questions that she was asked on her AMA were food related. So that's number one reference point, Reddit. Number two is what are people asking me? We meet at a dinner party, we go out, we're at a meeting or whatever. What are people coming up and asking me about? It used to be, and it's not a joke, it was, hey, can you look at this rash? Or, hey, I had this rash, what do you think? Now it's, this is what I'm eating, am I doing it right? What, what, where does that sit for you in terms of things that are activating the public, things that are exciting the public, things that the public asks about? Where are you looking and what is your sense of where we are with people wanting to know about the food they're supposed to be eating? Yeah, I mean, that's such a good point. And and I think it highlights just how confused people are and how confusing the message is right now about food. I, I can't remember a time when it has been this confusing, but in a way that's that's a good thing because it means people are taking a deeper dive and people are looking more closely at recommendations and at what we've been told for decades. And because people are sort of turning that upside down when they realize, a lot of it's, you know, kind of a house of cards is what it's basically built on, what the recommendations have been built on that, that, you know, a whole lot of new information and new perspective is being brought to light. And that is confusing because anytime you're, you're going against a narrative that's been in place for decades and been, and been uh, repeated by major organizations and governments and countries, I mean, that's not an easy thing to kind of say, well, hang on a second, maybe we need to rethink things. And that's why people are so confused. I like that idea of it being sort of a dogma that we have to go up against. You and I are about the same age. So we went to like elementary school and things in the same time. And it was, it was the food pyramid, right? That's that, that's the central dogma. And it was, you know, the base of the pyramid was, was carbohydrate based foods, foods that are heavy in carbohydrates, grains, cereals, pastas, things like that. And that was what we, that was what was served at, at breakfast and at lunches at school. And that's what we were sort of kind of immersed in as in terms of what we were supposed to eat. And I remember I had a nutrition lecture in medical school and the professor who gave that talk laid out exactly what you said. This was a dogma. This was something that was driven by a very powerful lobby. It was not based on science, but it was driven by very, very powerful and well-funded lobbyists that influenced the food pyramid. We are, we're in a place now where we do have to unspool that. And that's the niche I feel like you fit yourself into very nicely. Is Has that been the progression for you where you said, I see this corner is open. I'm a cardiologist. I interact with the downstream effects, the really sharp end of what happens when people's bodies are not getting the right fuels and not getting the right things put into them. I need to kind of plant a flag here and start to get to work. Yeah, I mean, well, really how it came to be was I was looking for a way to have a more meaningful impact on my patients. I mean, I I did a preventive cardiology fellowship. My goal was to delay and prevent cardiovascular disease. And then when I saw, you know, the impact I was having in practice, it was nothing like what I envisioned in my head. And I had to ask myself why. I had to say, you know, why are these people not improving? Why are they not getting better? Why is this just constant revolving door of cardiovascular disease happening. These people keep ending up in my cath lab over and over again. And what I came back to, what I came back to over and over again was that the the lifestyle that we were promoting was one that people 
could not maintain. And even if they did, it wasn't improving them to the degree that we were told it should. And I was fortunate enough to work with a good friend of mine who was a health coach who was very much in the low-carb space already. And this was over five years ago before it really hit sort of mainstream social acceptance. And he, and he turned me onto it, and it really opened my eyes. And, and that's when I realized that um, we need more voices. We need more physicians. Yeah. We need more people promoting, even if it's not you know low-carb, keto, even if you're not promoting that, one thing we all have to promote is recognizing the quality of the science behind the strength of the recommendation and recognizing that there is an absolute mismatch between those two things in this country and in the world right now. I think that the way you position that for me is it's really intelligent, but it also does set up this – it is a dichotomy where on the one hand, there's the physician's learning, the nurses learning, the hospital systems learning and dealing with their own conceptions and misconceptions. And then there's the, 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 the public people who are in need of healthcare, people who want to do things differently. Your, your, your project, low carb cardiologist has, is set up really, really nicely so that people who are looking for that insight can come to it on the, on the people in search of healthcare side. The thing that you do very nicely, I would argue more on social media is that you're helping us to unwind what, for me at least, my observation is a really difficult problem. This is something physicians are asked about all the time. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. We don't like to admit when we don't know something. I would say in general, it makes people feel very uncomfortable. The education that we have received around it in medical school, in fellowship, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, varies, but on balance is not the same training we got in the ICU or in the cath lab or in the emergency <laughs> department. And so it's physicians being asked questions that are of primary importance to their patients where they don't know the answer and it's uncomfortable. How do we encourage physicians, nurse practitioners, hospital systems, medical groups to step through, to step into that tension and to move through it as opposed to doing what some people do all the time, where it's just the barriers go up, the walls go up, they don't want to hear it. And then the patients go elsewhere. And yeah. how do we unravel that? Such a great point. I mean, look, when you said a few minutes ago that you got a lecture, a nutrition lecture in medical school, that's revolutionary in and of itself, right? And that's, <laughs> right. that's part of the problem. The fact that you, <laughs> totally. it's revolutionary that you even had a lecture on, <laughs> totally. on nutrition. Now it should be so, added yeah. that it was at eight in the morning and I was drinking coffee and probably eating like a frosted Danish or something like that. But. <laughs> <laughs> right. And there were like three other people in the lecture hall. With you. <laughs> totally. No, there were more, there were more because we couldn't like record it and stream it and stuff like that. Cause you and I are old. Oh, right. Right. Of course. <laughs> we're the dinosaurs. That's right. Yeah. We were, uh, Chipping away in our stone tablet, um, but anyway, <laughs> or a, or a palm pilot, as it were. Yeah, palm pilot. Exactly. Oh God, <laughs> there's a good memory. That's right. Okay, back on track here. Yeah, so sorry. You're, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head with yeah. how physicians react to this because most most are not interested in this and have not done um, have not taken the time themselves to learn more and to immerse themselves in the field because let's face it, we're physicians are busy, right? There, yeah. there's more time demands than ever before on a physician's day. The last thing they want to have to do is, is do more reading and more research. And this takes a lot of time to really understand. So what I see more than anything is the patients become the educators, which I think is phenomenal because you know, it's easy to ignore someone on social media saying something works and something's great. 
it's pretty hard to ignore someone who shows up in your office, they're weighing 30 pounds less than they used to, their hemoglobin A1C is now normal, and oh, by the way, they stopped their insulin. And you say, wait, what? How'd you do this? And then if they explain to you how they did it, you better take notice as a doctor. So that that's something I'm seeing quite a bit of. The you know, the citizen scientists sort of taking it on onto themselves to to improve their lives and fix their health and then educate their doctor. Now, man, did I wish it didn't have to be this way. It'd be so much more powerful if it was the reverse. But that's definitely one way to to get physicians and, and um, nurse practitioners and healthcare providers educated on the topic by the but patient boy, being the just, educator. But that's just fl- – you're right, and I agree with you 100%. Let's just be really clear. What you're describing is a person who has type 2 diabetes who is able to change their metabolism such that their body – no longer needs supplemental insulin. A type one diabetic should never ever stop their insulin unless there's something unique happening where their endocrinologist is giving them specific guidance. But the type two diabetics ideally can move along a path where they could potentially get off insulin with dietary modification and lifestyle and exercise. Right. Great, great clarification. And I, but I wouldn't even recommend that a type two diabetic do it on their own either. Never. I mean, oh gosh, it. no. And I've we, seen it we don't give medical advice on this show, but don't stop your insulin unless your board certified <laughs> physician who you trust is stepping you through that process very carefully. I think that that's a really important point. Yeah. But, but now the world we live in, there's, uh, all these health coaches, online health coaches that's popping right. up. That's right. And that's actually something I've begun doing because I have seen the impact you can have on people. Yes. Um, not even acting as a physician, but just helping them guide their lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and, and I've had such a meaningful impact on so many people doing that, but because of that, people are getting educated, people are learning and they can go back and educate their physicians. Now, what I'm hoping though, is, is shows like this, you know, there, I know there are a number of physicians who listen to your podcast and there are physicians who listen to, to my podcast. And, and there's so much information being circulated that hopefully just, you know, by, diffusion effect, people are starting to learn. And these low carb conferences that are popping up all over the country. You know, I was just at one in, um, in Denver where there were over 800 people in the conference and probably half of them were healthcare providers, which I think is just phenomenal that we're, we're progressing that way. And look, in the scheme of things, it's still slow. I wish it was going a lot faster, but we're making progress Um, and people need to learn. And, and again, you know, it's easy to put someone in a bucket, like, oh, you're the keto person, you're the low carb person. And yeah, you know, that is usually what I recommend. That's what I think is, is uh, a great approach, but it's not right for everybody. But what is right is everybody needs to learn and understand more about nutrition. And a lot of that comes from, again, understanding the quality of the science that our recommendations have been based on. And it's poor quality science. It was never meant or designed to draw conclusions that we should then tell the whole country how to eat. It was, it was an unfortunate constellation of effects, and we've paid the price of the 50-year human experiment, but now it's time to recognize that and start to undo it in a healthy way for our patients. If, if I was in the audience when you're giving your plenary session talk, that's what I would be tweeting out. What you just said yeah. around this opportunity to find what is sensible, what makes sense for patients, how can we connect with people in both directions, that's the stuff that I'd be putting out on my social media feed saying, hey, you need to check this person out because what he is saying makes sense. There is a lack of dogma. There is a lack of judgmental 
takes and hot takes. You're doing it wrong. All of that sort of nonsense. It's let's have a conversation. Let's look at things objectively, but let's also allow for some room for people to figure out what will work for them. What will make sense for them based on personal preference, based on social determinants of health, based on their own physiology and build a trusting relationship so that we can actually move forward. And what I love about your approach, and I'm not surprised that you're doing it because I know you as a person, you're illustrating the great opportunity that I think we have right now in terms of a way that we can reconnect with the people who come to us to help take care of them. Their primary interest is around nutrition. We know that, right? You, you just look at what people are asking about buying on Amazon, reading, all of that. If we can become the people who say, come and sit with me and let's talk through what works for you. What are the barriers? This is my best understanding of it. This is the stuff that I'm reading and have that connection. Those are the visits that end with a handshake and a thank you card. And most importantly, an enduring relationship based on shared decision-making. That's the stuff we want to be doing as doctors. And I think you're putting that into specific relief. Like, look, come into this swimming pool. This is what your patients want to talk about. Come learn it together and you'll rebuild that aspirational stuff that you want from your panel of 30, you know, 3000 patients or your 15 patients in the hospital or whatever the case may be. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, my, my joke is that it really is just all, it's all selfish because I want to enjoy my job more. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, this is yeah. Seeing people get better and, and working with them and understanding yeah. their, yeah. what they want and what their fears are and what they've tried and what works and, and what their likes and dislikes are like really getting to know somebody and understanding those things about somebody That's right. and watching them and helping guide them to on their path to success. That's what's gratifying. And, not, it, you and know, it applies to all of us, right? So, so you're fortunate, right? You're you're in the outpatient setting. You can develop longitudinal relationships with patients and they will keep coming back and say, Dr. Sure is my guy. I trust him. We don't always agree. You know, he'll give me this piece of guidance and I'll do what I'm going to do with it, but I trust him and I'm going to go back to him. That's what you want, right? In oh, the hospital side, I don't have that dynamic. We get people out of the hospital pretty quickly. But when you do that deep dive into just, hey, what kind of foods do you like to eat at home? What do you enjoy? What foods do you eat when you're eating them? You think maybe I shouldn't be eating them. What do you like to drink when you're thirsty? Making it really granular and just asking it like we're having a conversation over, you know, uh, over, over a meal together as opposed to here is the coda for your diabetic diet. And here, you know what I mean? <laughs> Making it this sort of patriarchal thing. Some of the most exciting breakthroughs I've had in the hospital with patients and their families have been those questions. It's Doc, I take my insulin. I exercise. I do all the right things. Why is my hemoglobin A1C 10? And it turns out they're drinking like a liter and a half of Pepsi a day. And they drink yeah. a liter and a half of Pepsi a day because they're tired and they need caffeine. And they know that they need a sleep study. But you build this progression and it's just – that's the stuff. I mean that's the, that's, that's the stuff. Yeah, I mean, as a hospitalist, like you said, you, you don't get that longitudinal relationship. But if you could, if you could just educate – each patient, you know, yeah. everybody with diabetes who is served their raisin bran and their orange juice for breakfast in the hospital, <laughs> if you could point out to them that maybe that's not the best thing oh, that they we, should be having for we breakfast laugh because it's, diabetes. We laugh because it's true. I know. Oh, <laughs> we laugh and we cry because it's oh, true. You walk in the room and you're like, oh, for goodness sake. And then the same time, right in the hospital, you walk in and the snacks that the family's brought in are there. And you just, instead of the, why do you have a box of Oreos? It's, oh, those look really good. I like those. Let's just have a conversation around, you know, there's Oreos in the room. We're, we're, we're not stupid. You're not stupid. I'm not stupid. We both know that at some point someone told you 
when you're when you when you have all these various issues that probably eating something with that degree of refined carbohydrates and high fructose corn syrup is not good for you. I get I have a choice. I can be the guy that comes in and says that's not good for you and kind of browbeat them again. Or we can have a dynamic relationship around, you know what? I love those things, man. I could do six of them right now and you wouldn't even notice that I'd started eating them. And when I can do that as a physician, it just sort of grounds us together. It's like, yeah, these things are really good. But you know, doc, I, I know I'm supposed not supposed to eat them. And I've had that happen where a patient will actually tell me before I can start, I know I'm not supposed to eat these. Like I, I'm, I'm, you know, but this is why I eat them. And that for me, right, that's the same thing that you just described, the patient who walks in and they've lost 30 pounds, that kind of a breakthrough where the the bi-directional communication shifts, it's so satisfying. Yeah, but you also have to realize, Mark, that you you have a superpower that not all doctors have. And, and your superpower is connecting with people and, and instantly connecting with them and being a part of their story and understanding their story. And, and I wish more people had that power like you have. Um, it's a true gift that you have, and I've 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 been uh, jealous of it and noticed it for a very long time. That's a, that's uh, but a kind it's, it's thing for you to that, say, and I appreciate it. And, and but it's something we all need to model after. And you're absolutely right. And it 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 is the way to help people, not browbeating them time and time again. That does not work. So let's talk about the subject of browbeating from a slightly different perspective. On your websites, on your podcast, you do espouse one of the major types of dietary approaches that has absolutely become very, very popular. The evidence base is growing. And as you described, it's a low carbohydrate, keto, you know, keto based diet. We talk about browbeating. I have noticed, and I would imagine you have the same, that people take this stuff really seriously. And mm-hmm. that if you challenge what feels dear to them, they come out swinging, especially in the space of nutrition, diet, this is what works for me. As one of the leaders in this work, what does that feel like for you? Do you feel like sometimes people come at you really hard? Do you feel like there is a desire for people to understand? Or are we all digging fortress, building fortresses and digging moats around our specific approach and you better not tell me what is right or wrong? Yeah, it's a very, very good point there. And uh you know, people, people correlate nutrition and religion. And I think it's a very, very accurate correlation. Interesting. Interesting. And the, the wars I see between vegans and keto, um, aficionados is just, it's disheartening because even among physicians, you know, among vegan physicians who just turn into complete jerks online because they're they're just defending their position and feel so threatened on both sides yeah. and there's no there's no place for that you know because look everybody's goal is the same or it should be the same and it should be to help the person in front of you to help the population to help people get healthier and it, there's not just one way to do it and we have to understand the nuances behind what works for somebody and what doesn't work for somebody else now that being said, there are, there are some truths, and we can agree on a lot of the truths about, you know, don't drink your Coke, don't eat your sugar and your 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 Oreos and your, your Danishes and whatnot. Um, oh, you went back to my Danish. Thanks a lot. 
<laughs> you know, when there's so much we can agree on, yeah. um, it's a shame that, that it can get personal and it can get dirty and people just start throwing rocks at each other. And yeah, I, yeah. I don't think there's much of a space for that. Um, it's a little disheartening when I see that, but it's mostly on social media. And what I find is when you get people face to face, all that goes away. I mean, and that's part of the problem about really? social media in that's general. Interesting. Okay. But, but is it, when you say get face to face, is this at a conference? Is this, you call somebody on their, you know, you email them and say, Hey, can I have a conversation with you? We went at it pretty hard on Twitter. What is, what is that dynamic that reconciles that? Because people, yeah. you're right. People like to get on Twitter and get after it. They right. don't necessarily want to get off Twitter though. Yeah, I mean, I've seen people on Twitter calling each other jerks and really just yeah. questioning the integrity of each other. And then I've heard them on podcasts together, uh-huh. uh, being buddy buddy. And okay. it's like, okay, what happened there? <laughs> <laughs> but that's good. You're you're right. That's good. And maybe it's that these two people are old friends, and that's just how they tangle. And on Twitter, it looks rough, but in a podcast format, it looks okay. It, well, it, that's going to be something just, we have to mature, though. I mean, we do need to. We we don't want to look like we're bickering. Yeah. But at the same time, though, you know, I can understand people defending their position. You know, if you if you've created a career in in one certain form of nutrition, then of course you're going to be threatened when the opposite form of nutrition is uh, being shown to have tremendous benefits. Yeah, and yeah. you know, if it makes you question if you're right or if you could be wrong, and if could have been given bad advice for you know decades, uh, I can see why people get defensive. I can yeah. understand that. But in the end, it's, it's we got to go to you know, the quality of the science, we have to understand what, what backs, um, our recommendations and why, and what kind of success we're having with each individual. So I want to ask you a question about a different phenomenon now, and it's a phenomenon with these diets or with the foods that people are eating of this concept of splurging or the concept mm-hmm. of cheat days, these sorts of things. You and I talked a couple of years ago because I wanted to change the way I was eating. I was a new dad. I didn't feel all that healthy. Um, I didn't feel like I was as fit as I should be. You know, I'm getting on the tennis court and I'm slow. I'm running and I just look slow, right? On call at the hospital, the PB&J at 4.30 in the afternoon <laughs> and the crash at 7 o'clock and feeling really crummy. And we yeah. talked about this. And so I moved to a sort of a modified low-carb lifestyle that worked very much for me. And you were great about it. And it was, here's what it, here's the stuff that I've dropped. And it was awesome. There are stretches, though, where the lizard brain is telling me, like, Mark, just just bang out a couple of Kit Kats. Like, it's not a big deal. You know, you'll be fine. It's it's really, it's diabolical sometimes. And I think that that gets into this idea of our, when we talk about cheat days, when we talk about splurges, are we normalizing deviance or is that a part of the approach of these modified diets that we're talking about? What is your take on this concept of I've done something really good, so I'm going to get out the frosted Danish and I'm going to bang it out with a, with a cup of coffee versus those things are no longer part of the equation. Right. Right. And, and that's a great point. And, um, you know, some people are very lucky and they are able to get over any cravings. And and that's where I want people to get, but I understand not everybody's going to get there. And I hope people get there mostly by education. Uh You know, there's understanding what these do to your body. I love when people wear CGMs, continuous glucose monitors, which more and more people are starting to get their hands on now. But all you have to do is wear one of those and have one of your Kit Kats and you'd be like, oh my God, what just happened to my blood sugar? And when you see that and you understand (laughs) what's happening in your body, all of a sudden that craving goes down a little bit. But the other point is 
you know, one of the benefits of a low carb, high fat diet is it does fight your cravings and it does fight your hunger. And that's something that we haven't talked about in decades when we've been promoting low fat diets and eating every two hours and, you know, getting all your insulin spikes, but finding a diet that fights your cravings and fights your hunger is so important. And nobody's going to be perfect. I mean, right. we have to recognize that, right? We, we still do get cravings. Um, and you have to accept them for what they are, but don't beat yourself up over it. That's something that bothers me when people are like, oh my God, I was terrible yesterday. I cheated. I was awful. What the heck's wrong with me? Yeah. No, it's part of being a human. <laughs> right. But, right. But you have to learn from it, right? Yeah. And you have to yeah. say, okay, maybe um, I shouldn't have those in the house. You know, maybe this is the one thing I can't control. And for some people, that's peanut butter. You know, for some people, it's cashews. And for some people, it's Kit Kats. You got to find what your own what your own vices right. um, and control your environment. But if you need that to celebrate, okay, you can do that. Yeah. But you have to recognize it as a celebration. And some people are going to get the creep. You know, all of a sudden it's hey, it's Tuesday, I deserve it, as opposed to like hey, it's you know a birthday, I deserve it, right? Yeah, so yeah. you have to be aware of it. And some people have more control than others, and that's where it's difficult to say. You know, no, absolutely, you cannot cheat, or yeah, you're allowed to cheat every now and then. Because let's face it, sugar and carbohydrates can be an addiction. Some people can, have an absolute be. addiction. Can be. Oh, uh, raising my hand over here. Are, yeah. Uh, uh, when right. I talk about the lizard brain saying, "Mark, it's okay to have a Twix," that that uh, for me, it feels that way, and it's it it's it's uncomfortable sometimes. It's it's weird. Um, yeah. But especially when I pivoted, I had that experience, and it was very odd to have part of my brain suddenly saying you've gone all this stretch of time and you've lost weight and you bought new clothes and you're exercising like you did in high school, dude, just go get ice cream. Like it's good to go. Mm -hmm. Nothing's going to happen. It's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, sometimes you're going to do that and you're going to splurge and then you're going to feel great and it's going to hit all your dopamine centers in your brain and your, your pleasure centers and then half an hour later, an hour yeah. later, you have your little crash and you're yeah. like, what did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> no question. And that's okay. You know, yeah. you got to yeah. learn from that. That's and, right. And, you know, people say it's part of life. It's part of joy. I wish it wasn't. Um, but for some people it is. And we have to recognize that and build it into our lives. So let me ask you this question, right? Because I know that you really, you've always been a great athlete. You've done triathlons and cycling and all kinds of great things that push your body physiologically. What's a treat for you? When you've had a good workout or you've finished a long stretch of call or it's your birthday and you say, you know what, I'm going to eat something that hits those dopamine receptors and hits those pleasure receptors and makes me feel like I'm doing something special for myself. What are you going to buy? What do you pick up? <laughs> it's a good question. And and I, I guess I'm fortunate in that I, I don't get strong cravings. I don't want chocolate. I don't want candy. You know, there, um, it's not something that, that really does anything for me anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, there's this, there's this paleo granola that I really like that's kind of made with some maple syrup and that's probably the sweetest thing I ever eat. But, um, sometimes before a long bike ride or after a long bike ride, that just hits the spot yeah. and that, that's good stuff. But um, is, a, is a treat you know, for you, it doesn't necessarily have to be something sweet. I mean, is there another food that for you, it's like, this is special and it's unique and I don't eat it a lot. It doesn't have to be a sweet, but what, what would be something else that you would say? Like, I don't get to eat that very much. And today I'm going to enjoy some. Yeah. Salted macadamias. Mm, those are good. <laughs> those are good, man. Yeah. I could, I could down a bag of those. And not blink. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. So it's, so the struggle is real. We all experience it, but we experience it in mm. different ways. Right. This is true. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's got their own struggle to go through on That's a right. different scale. 
And then let's talk about sustainability. We're in early days, it feels like, with some of these dietary approaches. I look forward to the part where we don't call them diets anymore because a diet has that there's a lot of, it conflates with a lot of things, right? It conflates with you go off of a diet. It conflates with it's a fad diet. I just like to think of these as different approaches towards the same goal of being healthy and being happy and not having, you know, not having to have things that are unfortunate happen to your body or at least trying to minimize that risk. I feel like moving away from that terminology is going to be helpful. But what do you feel like is the trajectory of these? Do you see these as lasting nutritional approaches? Absolutely. I mean, it, it baffles my mind when people say, oh, you can't sustain that. You can't sustain a low carb diet long term. I say, why not? I mean, right. having eggs with, you know, spinach and broccoli and cauliflower and cheese, and then later having a big salad with steak and avocado and more cauliflower and spinach and hard boiled eggs and almonds, like, who can't eat like that forever? I can eat that every single day for the rest of my life with, with no concerns. And it's going to do wonders for my health. I'm going to feel great. I'm not going to be hungry. I'm going to have energy. I'm getting all the nutrition I need. Like, what is not sustainable about that? I just don't get it. <laughs> so, yeah. yes, I absolutely think it's sustainable. Now, I could see people saying, you know, if you're if you're having, you know, bacon wrapped steak every single meal and heavy cream and every drink and, um, and you're doing that and you're still taking in 3000 calories per day. Okay. Then you could say something's gone wrong here. Maybe that's not sustainable. And that's where, you know, just because something works for one person online doesn't mean it's the right way to do it for everybody. You know, people always wonder why am I not losing weight? That's a big, big issue I get when people come to me for consults. Why am I not losing weight? Well, because you're drinking three bulletproof coffees a day. You're still eating 3,000 calories per day, and you're not paying attention to the rest of your health in terms of your fitness and your sleep and your stress. So that's why you're not losing weight. So just because you read something online doesn't mean it's the best approach. And that's why I love that there are so many health coaches popping up online to help walk people through this, to help show people that they're there's different ways to do this and finding the right approach for each person. And absolutely, when you find the right approach, it is sustainable. By definition, the right approach for you is sustainable because I don't care if you lose weight today, next week, next month. I don't care if you can be healthy for a month. I care what's going to happen for the next year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, because that's what true health is. True health is finding something, a lifestyle that you can maintain that's going to help you thrive and accomplish more than you ever thought possible because you feel so good. You've used the word sustainability several times there, and I was reflecting on it as you were saying it. And earlier in the show, you paid me a very nice compliment about the way you perceive my ability to connect with people, and I appreciate that. So I want to pay you a compliment. You were able to, on a on your own personal and professional journey, recognize that you were getting into an unsustainable place where, you know, you were exercising and you were married and had a great job with a fabulous group of docs at a great hospital living in San Diego. All those boxes are checked, but something is becoming unsustainable. And I give you tremendous credit because you were able to have the ability to be introspective, to recognize that, and then to pivot. And to get onto a pathway that is sustainable, that you will do for a long time. And I remember this really vividly. I mean, you and I were buddies at the time. We'd become friends. We were social. We would hang out. And we, you know, you were on call. I was on call. And I remember I called you about a patient and we tangled. 
and we had a heated conversation on the phone. I don't think either one of us felt very good about the conversation when we were done. And when we got home that night, it was fairly late. We connected again as friends now. And it was like, that was not okay. We we're friends. We, we can disagree, but that one, that went sideways. Do you recall that? I mean, I, I, For me, it's (laughs) really, for me, it is a vivid moment because the conversation didn't end with, all right, handshakes and and bro hugs. We had a long talk that night. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is the way to hear you describe it is like it happened yesterday. I mean, that's how vivid it is in my mind because it was instrumental. I mean, you, you are congratulating me for finding an approach that's sustainable and you know, reliving this moment with you, you were instrumental in that because yes, I, I was the, I was reaching my boiling point, um, not being able to impact people in the way I had set out to do. You know, I was, I thought I was going to be helping everybody I saw and just stamping out heart disease, helping people revitalize their health. And I was, became a cog in the wheel of a system that doesn't help people. Um, and, I was getting more and more frustrated with it, feeling like I couldn't break out. I couldn't do the things I wanted to be doing and was meant to be doing. And this incident you're talking about was sort of a boiling point. And I may not have recognized it. I may not have recognized it as that point until later that night when we reconnected. And that's, again, one of your superpowers of communication. Like <laughs> So many people would have let that go and been like, wow, he has turned into a total jerk. I don't know why he reacted this way. But you said, no, I'm not going to just let this go. I mean, we are friends and we need to, we need to talk this out. And so later that night you reached out to me and, and we did. And that was, it gave me a tremendous amount of insight. It helped me see inside myself that, you know what, just like you said, this is not sustainable. Like I can be frustrated, but I cannot, I cannot let this get to me the way it's getting to me now. And something has to change. And that sort of set the course in motion for me to open up my own wellness center and to start working with the health coach that I was working with. And then now, you know, led me on this path to where I'm doing online consulting and really being able to focus on prevention. And um, it's opened up a whole new world and it feels uh, so much better. I still, you know, I still have my days in the hospital. I'm still a general cardiologist. That's right. It's, it's, It's a tough job, but you were able to live what you then go forward and ask other people to do, which is to recognize something is unsustainable, recognize something is making you feel uncomfortable. It's making you feel like your performance is degraded, whatever the case may be, but you can guide them from real experience that look, there are levers that you can pull. We can do it together and it's going to take time and it's going to be bumpy. And Hey, 10 years later, I'm still having days in the hospital where I get frustrated and you know what? I'm okay with it and I mitigate it and I do my job. I, right. I it, it, that is not easy work, Brett. And I think it's amazing that you were not only able to rebuild a career, but turn it into this really wonderful evolution. That's now affecting people in a place that they really need it. We talked at the beginning of the show, this is where people are and you've been able to get to that place organically And that's what we need. We need people to get to that spot, not because you're trying to line your pockets, not because you're trying to, you know, be rich and famous and sign glossy eight by tens, but because it's meaningful and because people won't die because you're, you know, 10 years earlier, because our national life expectancy will start to hopefully trend back up if people can make these sorts of changes and recognize these levers are there to be pulled. 
Right. And it, it also brings up the, the need to be true to yourself, the need for yeah. integrity yeah. and to, to live every day with integrity and to understand what that means. And it's hard to be introspective every single day of your life, but it's so important to to have a general theme of introspection and a general theme of understanding who you are, what you're doing, what you want to be doing. And if there's a disconnect between those, understand why and understand how to bridge the gap. And you were very helpful for me in that in that realm. These things that you talk about, these themes that you talk about, this is the stuff that people can find, right? And, and one of the things that as your pal, as your buddy, I like, look at this, the work you're doing. I'm like, I'm so proud of him because you don't just live it, but now you're putting it out there. So when people find you, they're going to see what you just described so eloquently. Where do people go to find you? Because they're going to hear this and they say, you know what? That speaks to me. That's a, that's a person who has walked the path and who continues to walk it and is trying to do this the right way. I want to, I want to read and I want to learn. How do they find you? Where do they go to, to connect and to start to gather in some of this stuff in a way that makes sense to them? Yeah, thanks. Well, the, the best way to get a hold of me is lowcarbcardiologist.com. It's my website. And on there, you know, I've got a blog you can read. There are links to my podcast, the Diet Doctor podcast. Um, you can get my book through there. You know, the, the idea is to get as much information in as many different ways to people as possible to, to help them understand it. And it, like, like we started off with this podcast, it can be very confusing uh, with all the different information out there. So I, I hope to be a source of trusted information to, to call it like it is and, uh, and really help people understand and then you, you can sign up for consulting, uh, online consulting through the website as well. And I, I also, you know, I do work for Diet Doctor at dietdoctor.com. I really recommend that site um, as the best and the largest low-carb website in the world. Um, so those are the best two places to find me at dietdoctor.com and lowcarbcardiologist.com. So you're, you're third in the hierarchy now of people that I've known and had a relationship with the longest on the podcast. And this is so cool. Uh, you know, <laughs> I just, we've known we were literally like wet behind the ears, fresh out of training attendings, just trying to figure it out. And now we're, we're doing this work and it's just incredible. And, and so I'm really grateful to you for, for coming on the show and, and sharing with us all the, the wonderful things that you're doing. And, and the, the part that resonates for me is the, the way that you're doing it, the approach that you take when you're doing it. I think that that's, what's going to make this stuff sticky. It, it, it's, 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 it's a road to walk. And I think the way that you walk it and the way that you demonstrate how others can walk it, that's what is going to be lasting and sustainable and, and meaningful. So thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. Oh, it's been a true pleasure, Mark. And uh, hopefully we can stay in touch more, but this is great to, uh, to reconnect. And uh, I, I'm such a fan of your podcast, so it really is a pleasure to be on it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.